Hi, my name is Bob Brooks, host and moderator of Long in the Tooth. This is a podcast primarily for late career dentists who are interested in doing a great job with their practices currently and also in planning for a transition of their practices to new ownership in the future. Our vision for the podcast is to be an educational format, not salesy at all. If you have been directed to join this podcast by a member of the dental industry in the United States, please thank them. This is going to benefit you. These are educational presentations that will hopefully help your profitability, your peace of mind, and your planning for the future as you are considering transitioning your practice to new ownership. Thanks for joining us on this date's episode of Long in the Tooth. Today we're going to talk about interesting things that practice owners think and say sometimes. And don't worry, I'm not going to quote you and I'm not going to use anybody's names, but hopefully you'll find today's presentation informative and interesting. Sometimes practice owners need to make some changes in their practices but there are two primary limiting factors. One is the owner's ability to lead his or her team, and the second one is oftentimes owner's deep-seated beliefs. To give you an example of some things that I've seen with staffs, maybe a couple opposite extremes would be staff, for example, or staffs that run the office. They run the practice. The dentist doesn't. I can think of a a practice owner I worked with several years ago who bought some new technology for his practice and his staff just refused to use it and he was wanting to provide training to them and uh, they just the staff got their way they ran that practice an extreme opposite example would be staffs that live in fear of the practice owner I was working with a practice owner in the Cleveland area and this practice owner was exceptionally fearful that his staff would find out that he was thinking about selling his practice. And of course, we keep the sale of a practice in great confidence anyway, but he was especially fearful because he said if any of his staff members found out, they would certainly leave. The fact of the matter is, if his staff members found out he was selling his practice, they probably would have jumped up and down cheering and would have been eager to meet the new buyer. But the owner's self-awareness meter wasn't working very well. And uh, that was uh, an interesting situation. Secondly, owner's deep-seated beliefs. Many practice owners believe that their practices are highly marketable and that there is a strong demand for their practices. Even practices that only have one or two or three operatories with low collections and everything outdated and no new technology, practice owners generally feel that somebody would want to buy their practice. And that's not necessarily the case. I worked with one practice owner, oh, maybe 10 years ago. And this practice owner moved into their uh, current location in 1975. And the practice owner hadn't really changed anything since then and told me, this, this office is great. Another dentist could move in here tomorrow and start practicing dentistry immediately. 
And I'm looking at that office and I'm thinking, this is like a third world country in here. I wouldn't, I would never be a patient in this practice. But yet the owner's perception of it was that everything was up to snuff. Everything was good, ready to go. A lot of times practice owners don't consider technology when they're toward the end of their careers. They think the buyers can just buy whatever they want and put in there. And they would prefer not to have to deal with new technology. If a practice is in a high demand area, in a metropolitan area or suburb that is high demand, the practice owner might get away with that thinking. But if a practice is not high demand or if it's in a rural city where there's less demand from buyers, it could be the difference between selling and not selling a practice to have technology up to date. You know, having digital technology costs less now than it, than it has in a long time. And so it's easy to go to te digital technology, at least at a low level. And it would benefit some practices to go paperless as well, although I know many will, will not do that. So when practice owners are considering selling a practice, there are multiple ways they can do that. Of course, one is for sale by owner, FISBO. And dentists are licensing in clinical dentistry, but few, if any, have any experience in selling a practice. And it's one of the biggest decisions of their lives. So it seems like it would make sense that you might want to use somebody who is experienced and credentialed and licensed and all that to, to help you make such an important decision. There's a significant opportunity for loss by going with for sale by owner. One is lack of confidentiality. What's going to happen when staff members find out the practice is for sale? What happens when patients find out the practice is for sale? You know, for staff members, for example, if there was a hygienist without a non-compete, they may decide to go work for the dentist on the other side of the street and, uh, and take some patients with them. And believe me, it does happen. You can end up with a buyer that's not the best fit. You could leave money on the table. You could have, uh, in other words, not get the highest price. You could not end up with the best terms. And you could also have post-sale liability where the buyer will actually sue you in the future because you messed up if you did a FISBO and you didn't cross all your T's and dot all your I's. As far as uh, DSOs and group buyers, those are kind of like FISBOs as well for sale by owners because many times the DSOs are working directly with the practice owner and also the managed groups. There are some DSOs that have hundreds and thousands of offices and believe me, they've done this hundreds and thousands of times and you as a practice owner may have never done it, may have never sold a practice, so you are at an extreme disadvantage and it would be well worth bringing in an advisor to help manage the sale. Managed groups are similar, although smaller in size. As for uh, some brokers, there are some brokers who tie up practices for years and these poor owners can't sell their practices. I, uh, I helped a uh, practice owner uh, near Dayton, Ohio, and this practice had been tied up for a year or more, and I just happened to, to drop in a couple of days before the uh, listing agreement expired, and um, we were able to get a buyer within a week. That's an extreme example, but especially out-of-state brokerages uh, are going to have um, 
less contact with sellers in situations like that. Uh, it's very important for a broker to build a market for a practice. And what do I mean by build a market for a practice? I mean get as many buyers as possible. The more buyers you have, the better. That is a broker's number one job. There are other options that practice sellers think about, such as partnership buy-ins. That thought is fairly popular, but the sad reality is that partnership buy-ins usually fail. And they usually fail because there's inadequate income for the, the buyer or the mi minority partner that comes in or for the associate who comes in who is being brought in to later buy the practice. With uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars of school debt today that many uh, young dentists have, that's a situation that many practice owners did not face when they came out of school. So these young dentists need to pay off thousands of dollars every month in student loans and they need to put bread on the table. That's frequently why there's not enough meat on the bone to provide for a two dentist when you know these when perhaps your practice has just been a one doc practice in the past. Another option that dentists have is to connect with dental associations or dental societies who are trying to hook up buyers and sellers. But here's a huge lack of confidentiality here. Only desperate sellers would go there. Having a dental associate uh, a dental association or a dental society hook up a buyer and a seller, these would be two people who look, know little or nothing about transitions, would be like a dentist who has two patients that both need teeth extracted. The doctor gives them a set of pliers and tells them to go pull each other's teeth. It just doesn't make any sense, does it? Well, most of the, um, I should say, there are a uh, a significant number of practice owners who have not done transition planning. Of course, you would think a practice owner closer to the end of the career would be more likely to do that, but it's frequently not done. But when it is done, it really protects the interest of the practice owner's family. Um, it's good for the patients. It's good for the staff. It's good for the doctor's legacy. None of us know when something bad can happen, uh, disability or death. Uh, many practices that we sell, the, the owners had a health issue in the past. Some, some very, very significant. I've been involved in the sale of numerous practices where the practitioner had already passed away. But in contrast, there are practice brokers who are doing a great job and practice buyers who are excited about the next chapter of their lives and they move forward with transition planning which is really only has an upside potential. There are some uh, funny statements that the dentists have made that I've worked with through uh, practice transition planning and practice transitions. One practice I received, we received a full price offer on a practice. I didn't get feedback from the seller for a few days. And finally, the, the seller called me and said, you know, Bob, I just really like dentistry. Uh, I, I'm not going to sell the practice. Uh, I'm going to start doing these new procedures. This, this practice owner was in their 70s. And uh, I'm going to buy this new equipment. And just the reality of it surprised them. And, and they weren't prepared to sell their practice. The other uh, uh, 
another experience we've had is we've had mostly good experience with attorneys when practice transition attorneys have been selected. But when practice transition attorneys, either on the seller or buyer side, do not have that experience, it can be a real fiasco. Um, and you know, if a seller has a golfing buddy and it's Joe and he's a criminal defense attorney, you know, Joe may not add anything to the deal whatsoever. And it's really to the, the benefit of the party on the other side, the buyer, when the seller doesn't have somebody that's experienced that's representing them. Also, unfortunately, there are a few attorneys out there that churn fees we found in certain metropolitan areas. They're so desperate for work that they don't want us to have, they don't want brokerages to have any interaction with the clients whatsoever because they want everything going through them because they get to charge for everything. <laughs> Some funny statements that sellers have made when you think about what would be a nice thing for a practice seller to say when a buyer visits a practice? These statements seem fairly harmless. My patients love me. They're like family to me. They travel 100 miles. Some of them travel 100 miles to get here. Those all seem harmless, but actually they're counterproductive because when a buyer hears that their patients love them, they know that the patients of that practice don't love them. The buyer, they've never even met them. They know that they're not like family. Again, they've never met them, and they know they won't travel 100 miles to the practice, that those, pra that those patients will be lost. They'll be part of patient attrition. So those are unproductive things to say. I've had funny things stated when buyers have been looking at practices. I remember a practice that we had listed in Northeast Ohio, and there was a parking lot for the dental practice that allowed folks to cut through from a side street out to a main street if they wanted to. And so the buyer said, has anybody ever been hurt with traffic cutting through your parking lot? And the seller said, no, but somebody's going to get killed out there someday. Well, nobody had ever even been hurt out there. It's not a real productive thing to say. That same seller told the buyer, he said, you know, when you buy my practice, you're going to lose patience. And uh, again, not, not the best thing to say had uh, another experience more recently where the uh, the buyer and the seller in my presence were talking about after work after closing transition after closing work that the seller would do in the practice and the seller said oh I really don't care what I get paid uh, we could live off my wife's teacher's pension if we had to again not the best thing to say well, I hope today's presentation has been a little bit lighter and uh, you found it interesting. We're looking forward to you joining us next time on Long in the Tooth. Goodbye for now.